Uh, the title for tonight's talk is New Beginnings. And of course this is a title that may ring a bell for a number of you who are, have been, or plan to be in any kind of new beginning. New beginning for yourself, for your program of life, if you wish. And of course, as we talk about new beginning, we are talking about the flip side of endings. The, in other words, we are talking about the coming to the end of an old order and the start of a new one. What comes to an end may be a place of residence. You may be moving somewhere, going across the world, across the country, or across the state, or across the river, whatever. It may have to do with a new job. It may have to do with a new relationship. And in, in this latter case, uh, a new beginning is usually thought of as finding a, a different partner. But it's just as, as a valid new beginning to establish a totally new relationship with the very same partner. Look at Raquel, she smiles. <laughs> In the midst of such transitions, we often find ourselves obsessing about that which triggered the transition. Say we were fired from our job, say, say we were forsaken, abandoned by our partner, whatever. And so our attention gets focused on who and what triggered that event. Easily enough, with a lot of blame, to deposit on the others involved here, or, or even on ourselves. But of course, it's understandable that we may wish to set the record straight, but really and truly, that's not what matters. What really matters is whether in this ending, a new beginning, the, they result from our 
commitment to personal transformation or simply from a wish to circumvent circumstances. Is the change change mind or superficial? Is the change a transformation or a circumvention? In other words, say we are ending a relationship and going to start a new one. Are we going to repeat the very same pattern in the new relationship? If so, really not worth very much. Or are we going to go into the new relationship with a fresh mind, with a fresh heart. The litmus test, you see, has to do with how we relate to ourselves. In other words, it's not so much how we do in the relationship, but Basically, are we going to bring about changes in our inner life and not just in our external circumstances? Because without the inner changes, the external changes amount to zilch, nothing. The image came to me of a caterpillar ready to metamorphose in a butterfly. And, and doing that, the caterpillar goes through an intermediate stage called the pupa. Sort of the, it's, it gets encapsulated in a structure called also pupa. And then it comes out as a butterfly. And when I think of all these uh, pseudo-new beginnings in our lives, and I can talk about myself as well there, it, it, it's just as dramatic as a caterpillar pupating, going to a pupa stage, and at the end of the pupa coming out a caterpillar again. <laughs> How frustrating. So much effort in vain. To, to make this a little more concrete and not so in general, I'd like to share with you some writing from Christina Feldman. Quite a powerful teacher, you may. Some of you may know her. She teaches at IMS, and of course, she's a co-founder of Gaia House with Christopher Titmus. And she she wrote uh, in 1990 a book that uh, has now been reprinted recently, 
And I found it very powerful book. It's called Woman Awake. Here's something she tells from the time she was in Dharamsala, India, in the 70s. When, when she was beginning her path. And read a few paragraphs because I'm just to get you into the sense of that. It was here in, in Dharamsala that my formal spiritual training began. I listened to the heart of the Buddha's teaching. There is suffering, there is a cause of suffering, there is a total end of suffering, and there is a path to its end. That's a Four Noble Truth is called that teaching. Such a simple teaching, yet for me, one with so much power. A teaching which rendered questionable my view of myself as a powerless victim of circumstances, which gave me a relationship to my life and myself instead of making me into a passive spectator of it. Messages of compassion, of oneness, of joy, who had not been part of my inner vocabulary, gave meaning to being, to living, and offered a vision of transformation and freedom, inwardly and outwardly. Over the next few years, I was painfully confronted with the actuality that it was not sufficiently merely to treasure a vision of transformation, but it was also necessary consciously to cultivate the path towards it. How easy it was meditating on my idyllic mountain top and surrounded by loving people to believe I was achieving my goal of being free from resentment, hostility, and separation, and replacing those feelings with the boundless loving kindness of compassion. How quickly were my fragile spiritual images of myself shattered when I descended from my mountain paradise to be in enraged with the first bus conductor who seemed compulsively enamored of my body. I mean, if you've, if you've been to India, you, you know what she's talking about, particularly a foreigner, you know, game. How complacently I abided in my spiritual snobbiness, snobbiness, snobbishness, sorry, feeling to be the owner of the only way and so much spiritual knowledge. How painful it was to discover that I still had difficulty in being alone with myself. It became clear that there was something obviously amiss either with my understanding of loving kindness, freedom and compassion, or with my application of those concepts. Hmm. True, right? It was a necessary disillusionment, disillusionment that discovered that concepts, beliefs, and ideals do not in themselves possess the power to bring about inner change. Discovering that learning was very different 
from transformation in from, from sorry discovering that learning was very different from transformation inspired me to explore the depth of solitude meditation and inquiry I began to spend more time in intensive meditation being with myself and exploring the dynamics of my own being it was not always easy meeting myself meant the surfacing of past unresolved conflict it meant experiencing the pain of my alienation from myself confronting the depth of my conditioning and the question of my own identity and direction but it was a time of joy and beauty too as i learned to listen inwardly discover resources i didn't know i had and began to trust those resources it was a time of wonder and revelation as i began to sense intimations of what it meant to be awake and nurture the inner inner seeds of understanding so as christina christina so poignantly tells us the path of transformation at least a path of transformation goes through the practice and that is i'm sure why we are here today here in this retreat now the retreat has uh, the external aspects and the internal aspects i mean talk a little bit about the interplay of these two the external externalities of the retreat of course include the, the weather the food this hall right here the the room the presence of other people in this room this schedule posted in various places the experience of silence the talks the formal sitting the formal walking the groups and the inquiry are are going to the details of the schedule tomorrow morning and some things have been organized because uh, helpful and other things they can we can do nothing about whether we can do nothing about um food is in the hands of the sisters and uh, we've we've done well with them that we can be ch- which can be changed has been arranged so that um, the conditions should assist you to access your inner life and will help us all collectively to live together with ease during this couple of days 
as in, in all retreats like this, there's a, a mention of the, some precepts that uh, we keep during a retreat. And so let me go down those five traditional precepts that are quite useful. No killing, which means, of course, no killing of bugs or any other sentient beings, surely. No killing of humans, too, in fact, I suppose, goes without saying. And what also should go without saying, of course, uh, is the second precept, which is no stealing, not taking that which is not freely offered. The third, another precept is right speech, which in the retreat means silence. Noble silence, that is. Another precept is no sexual activity, which in the retreat, sorry, is no sexual misconduct. In the retreat means no sexual activity for the same reasons as the silence. It's just uh, distracting for everybody. And finally, no intoxicants. No, very specifically, no alcohol or drugs, which of course could uh, affect the atmosphere of the retreat uh, quite considerably. But what's really important about these five precepts is not so much what they do for our being together in harmony, our conviviality, but what they do for us internally. Take the first uh, precept and consider somebody activating a fly swatter. This is surely easily fatal for the fly, no question, if it's well aimed. But it's uh, also pretty damaging for the one who swats. It certainly obliterates any hope of compassion. And the same goes for, for stealing. Uh, in that case, uh, the robber is far more damaged than the person who lost whatever they lost. Because you lose an object, but your mind is okay. You steal an object, and your mind is not okay. Speaking does the same thing. If you start chatting with others, surely you'll disturb others. But uh, it's your mind that gets uh, stirred up and then cannot settle down. And of course, the same kind of silence of words applies to silence of sexual activity. Nothing wrong with words. Nothing wrong with sexual activity. It's just that here we take a break.
and, and finally fifth precept to stay clear of intoxicants that obviously may damage the atmosphere of the retreat but surely damages your own mind very directly. So much then for the five precepts but that's just just a, a tiny little item in the whole area of what this retreat or any retreat is about. And retreats are about our inner space. How can we make our inner space a livable, hospitable abode? A gift. Now, some of you, particularly those of you who have very little experience in, in meditation, and I know there are some of you who are nearly total beginners, when you start meditating, you may say, what did that guy say? Gift? This is horrendous. Because all the stuff, not to use a stronger word, almost came up, all the clutter that we've been accumulating and we haven't been able to listen to because we're so busy talking, doing, running, whatever. Suddenly, we are confronted with it. It comes up, it emerges. And so, last thing we want to see and yet it is a gift because only if we begin to see it can we begin to lighten up that clutter. It's like an attic full of junk and we have to start clearing. So the experience of a retreat with whatever difficulties emerge, and there, there will be many, I'm sure, is gradually, but surely, the experience of clearing the clutter in the mind. Even when it feels just the other way around, because we hadn't even looked at that attic. We didn't even know we had that clutter. And so we go to the attic, we turn the light on, my golly, how did I accumulate all this stuff? But then we can begin to let go. And small clearings appear in that inner space, inner attic, if you wish. And hey, there's a possibility of just moving into that little clearing and get a whiff of peace and tranquility. And in that clearing, and only in that clearing, 
can the fluidity of the new, the fresh, the unexpected become possible? There can be no new beginning when we are all you know, under the weight of all these accumulations. I'm describing this in terms of you know, accumulations in space kind of thing. But perhaps perhaps it's best to think of, of the clearings also, if you wish, or alternative, in terms of time. In terms of time. Because it's not so much that you create a space of, that's clear, but the moment that's clear, this moment, chunk is gone. Totally, here in the moment, chunk is gone. And when we touch those moments, then we can be touched, if even for an instant, with an by an indescribable sense of freedom. So this is the invitation for the weekend. To just recognize our clearings when they present themselves. Even though there is all the other stuff accumulated. We haven't cleared our attic. We're not going to do it in a weekend or in a day or maybe in 10 years. It took Christina quite a long time. And I wouldn't say that she has nothing in her attic either, you know. Certainly, I don't say that I have nothing in my attic either. But at least it's not so overwhelming. And so... I'll have much more to say about that inner space and on the talk on Sunday. But for now, let me highlight how this inner space that we clear can become a, a refuge, a place of peace and tranquility. And when I say a refuge, I don't mean a fortified refuge. Just the opposite. I'm, let me quote from the Buddha if I find that little piece of paper. Oops. Is it? Oh. oh should appear somewhere. It is. It's from one of the scriptures. Little poem, in fact. Rain soddens what's covered and doesn't sodden what's exposed. So, open up what's covered up so that it won't get soddened by the rain. Kind of the opposite of what we tend to do, right? 
Although sometimes we're wise enough, you know, I, I had some, some wood uh, that I saved and I covered it up and, in rot. I have neighbors who are much wiser, I just leave it in the open and it survives well. Reminds me of um, somewhat, uh, maybe 20 years ago, I spent some time in Oroville, India, which is um, in the south of India. And there, there was no communication. It's um, a village there created by some adventurous people, and uh, it's not a, an ordinary. Indian village, so it has no communication, so day that I had to leave, as it turned out, it rained, poured, and I was wondering what to do, because uh, my only transportation was my bicycle, the bicycle I rented, actually. So, it became obvious, put on a bathing suit, <laughs> and go. And, and allow my, my backpack to get wet and dry it later, you know. And so I did. That was the best protection, the baking suit, of course. In this space, of course, the one thing that conspires against the clarity and limpidity of this space that we can find ourselves in sometimes is the effort to gather again the props of the eye to recreate who we are. Recreate the illusion of who we are. Raquel, who's fond of reading mystery stories, can I, can I, well, it's too late now, he has your permission, shared this uh, quote uh, with me. It's from Murder in the Museum by Simon Brett. She loves it. There's a guy called Laura, I've never read it, but this is a quote. It says, a guy called Lawrence, he says, I've spent nearly 60 years of being me. That me is not a particularly admirable being. It certainly smokes and drinks too much. Its morals don't accord to the prescribed norm. It has probably caused unnecessary hurt to people, mostly women, who didn't deserve it. But that has suited me surprisingly well. Hmm. Having got this far through life, jogging along with myself am amiably enough, I don't want to have a personality transplant at this late stage. See, Mr. Lawrence cannot conceive anything else but his personality, or 
another transplant. In fact, he says in a, in a quote somewhere later on in the book, smoking is part of me. Take it away and there is nothing left. He believed it. So, this is his personality. I mean, if we are going to translate, transplant, if you wish, that personality to the open space, forget it. It becomes crowded again. With that personality comes a whole past history and future projection. But when we, on the other hand, discover this really, truly open, uncluttered space and come to abide in it, personality becomes superfluous, pointless, useless. No need to hold on to it or get it transplanted, as he says, it just stops mattering. Of course, we'll continue to have our traits, our personality traits, but, but we don't need to construct anything around it. It's just uh, stuff that comes and goes from that open space. In that open space, no personality, no clutter, space or time, whatever, moment, if you wish, space or moment. In that open space or moment, we are flexible. We are open to change. We are open to whatever organically unfolds from the flow of who we are and from the flow of things around us, not not such a great distinction between that. Then, and only then, every moment, every instant, can become a new beginning, a fresh start. I sit for a few minutes and then uh, I'll give instruction. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.